Hello and welcome. My name is Maureen Conway. I lead the Economic Opportunities Program at the Aspen Institute, and I'm delighted to welcome you today to a conversation about job quality, community impact, and the role of innovative business leaders and business models in fostering job quality. Uh, this is part of a broader body of work supported by Prudential Financial uh, that supports a range of work the Economic Opportunities Program engages in to promote job quality and think about uh, the practices of business, local organizations, and others in advancing quality jobs. Today, we'll record a conversation that delves into the extraordinary story of Optimax through a discussion with the company CEO, Rick Clinton. Welcome, Rick. Glad to have you with us today. Our purpose is to learn about a firm that is outstanding in a wide range of business and financial performance measures while also delivering very high job quality and opportunities for economic and job security for a sizable and growing cadre of associates. Optimax is pursuing a creative and new ownership structure and employee ownership trust that we think could be applicable to many other firms in the years ahead. Rick is a passionate leader with a focus on enabling customer success and employee prosperity. Rick is active in the photonics industry. He's a member of the board of the OSA Foundation and a member of the board and treasurer of the Optics and Electro-Optics Standards Council. Rick is also active in a variety of leadership roles in the region. Recently, he became a board member of the Canadagua National Bank and Trust and chairman of the Finger Lakes Workforce Investment Board. Uh, he's also chair of the Finger Lakes Advanced Manufacturing Enterprise Scholarship Committee. At the Aspen Institute, we uh, economic Opportunities Program, we've become even more closely familiar with Rick and really enjoyed his fellowship as one of our job quality fellows. Uh, this fellowship brings together innovators from a wide variety of um, disciplines and areas of practice who are all engaged in efforts to expand the availability of better quality jobs. Uh, Rick is a leading employer in that group and his work is, work is outstanding in generating great opportunities and job quality for workers directly but also for his leadership and you know, sharing his knowledge and uh, experience in a broad range of ways. Um, so Rick, thank you so much for spending some time with us and talking about what's been going on with Optimax. It's really exciting to learn more about the company. But just uh, to start for everybody, I think it would be great if you could just give a, a little background on Optimax when it got formed and, and why. And, um, and how that sort of fit in with sort of the regional economy at the time. Yeah, thanks, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be able to share our story. And um, hopefully this helps some other business leaders that uh, are looking at creative succession plans for their business. So um, in terms of where we started, Optimax was founded in 1991 based on some innovative research that came out of the University of Rochester funded by Kodak and Texas Instruments. And what they were trying to do is figure out how to leverage computer controlled machining technology to manufacture precision optical components faster and more predictably um, so that the, the net result would be a, a more reliable um, source of, of precision optics. Uh, Optimax was a new company that was formed to adopt this innovative new technology. And, and within a few years, Kodak made Optimax their key supplier for prototype optics. And they were really wonderful to us. They funded 75% of our trading costs for several years as we ramped up workforce from a little tiny startup of just a few people to about hundred employees. Um, today, Optimax is just about 400 employees. 
We've averaged 20% revenue growth through the years. Uh, we do about $50 million in revenue today. And uh, there's still just a, a lot of uh, opportunity for us out there in the marketplace. Uh, we have a really strong research and development team that continues to innovate our, ma our manufacturing processes to, to uh, satisfy market needs. Great. So can you sort of say a little bit more about Optimax today and just give folks a sense of sort of the, the size of the company and um, the kinds of things that you make? Yeah, we're, we're about 400 employees. Um, and uh, the, the facility that we have just outside Rochester, New York is about 120,000 square feet. Um, I want to share with you one of the things that we do that's really unique is we can manufacture precision optics 10 times faster than conventional methods with our machining technology. So just to put it in perspective, we got a call, and this was back in the late 90s, the first time we got a call from NASA saying, hey, we need some lenses in a week or we're going to miss the shuttle launch. And it was really exciting to be able to make the lenses for them, put an extra set in the box with a note that said, good luck with the launch. And, and they were able to get their project put together and get it onto the shuttle. So I love it when we can literally um, save programs like that and, and help enable people. That is totally cool. That must be kind of cool to sort of say, okay, so and that thing we were making last week is now, you know, out in space. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we've we have optics on all of the Mars rovers that are up there in, uh, in my, you know, on the planet, and and uh, Perseverance that's on its way to Mars right now. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so that also must be really fun for um, for everybody who works there. And I know you really think about sort of just the culture you build at work and and all of that. Can you talk about uh, besides you know sending things out to, into space, the other things you do to sort of build a really um, you know how you build the culture and a sense of engagement at work at Optimax? Yeah. So some of the projects we take on are really challenging, either technically challenging or or challenging in terms of a time frame. So the, you know, the workplace can be a little stressful. And um, you know, I started my career on the production floor, and I just have a fundamental belief that most people wake up in the morning and they want to create value, and they want to be respected for the work that they do. And so at Optimax, we've tried to create an environment where we provide all of our employees with the training, the resources, you know, tooling and machinery and the information that they need to make good decisions. And then we just invite them to come in each day and do what they know needs to get done to satisfy our customers. And so as, a, as an organization, we have a relatively flat organizational structure. Um, and we just, we just wanna continue to strengthen and grow our, our, each of our employees um, and satisfy you know, workforce or the, uh, the market needs. Yeah. Great. And can you talk about, um, you know, sort of how you think about creating good jobs at Optimax? As you know, in the Economic Opportunities Program, we worry a lot about people who work hard, but, you know, really find it hard to kind of earn a living uh, in the jobs that they have. But you've really thought carefully about, about sort of the quality of jobs and, and keeping people engaged at Optimax. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's a couple different perspectives there. Um, first of all, we want to make sure our employees um, have a learning plan. And so each year uh, we have every employee go through a, a peer review or a 360 review uh, where they're getting feedback on 10 different metrics. Five of the metrics have to do with their attitude or, or team performance. And five of the metrics have to do with their skill set or aptitude. And then there's a, a section for praises, like what has this individual been 
done really well in the past year? Where, you know, where are they shining? And an, an area for development, you know, what, what things could they be working on to help strengthen the team or to improve their performance? And so by having this um, systematic approach to strengthening the team, team member by team member, um, it's, it's really created a, an environment where year after year, the team gets stronger and stronger. And I think this is really a key part of our success. But for that, this is the other side of the coin, for that, we make sure that we share the profit with our workforce. So at the end of each month, we figure out how much profit we've made as, as a company. And we take 25 cents of every profit dollar and hand that out to our workforce. And that happens each month. Yeah, wow, that's great. Um, and so, so um, well, I could ask you more questions about benefits, but I really wanna to get to talking about uh, the Employee Ownership Trust, which I think is really exciting. And you know, I know you thought long and hard about sort of at, ownership structure and how do we, what do we want to accomplish here? So can you maybe just talk through a little bit what you were trying to accomplish as you thought about what this transition should look like? Yeah, so my business partner and I, um, it was about five years ago, we started thinking about our succession plan. He's 10 years older than I am. So it was time um, to start figuring out, you know, what, what's gonna happen with Optimax as we segue out and um, this, this five years ago is when we started getting serious about it, the, the succession plan, but it was 10 or 15 years before that when we were building up our workforce that we really looked to bring in um, some talented young individuals. And today um, we've converted Optimax from an S Corp to a C Corp that operates for profit underneath a perpetual purpose trust or an employee ownership trust. Um, so the, the trust has three main tenants that are written into this perpetual purpose. And they're basically, very basically, they are don't sell the company, share profits with the employees, and ensure that the leadership is doing things to create innovation and more jobs. Um, and so growing the organization over time. And, and that's basically um, all we're trying to do at Optimax is is to make sure that um, one, we're taking good care of our workforce and two, we're continuing to grow the business to the benefit of our community and our future employees. So how was that conversation with your business partner? I'm just curious because, um, you know, when you were thinking about this, um, you know, I I'm sure you still wanna, you know, have a comfortable retirement yourselves. So how did you sort of, think about that and think about all the, the various other considerations. What was that conversation kind of like? Yeah. yeah, good question. We, you know, he and I both grew up blue collar and we both started our careers on the production floor. And so for us, leaving a legacy and leaving Optimax in a, with a corporate structure or in a fashion where it continued to grow for decades and decades is more important to us than getting the maximum number of dollars we can get out of the business. Um, you know, I, I think the easiest thing for a small business owner to do is to clean up their financials and then after, you know, and then go out and look for some, the highest bidder to come in and buy the organization. But, you know, here in the Rochester area, this is the home of Kodak, Bausch & and Xerox. And there's a lot of small to mid-sized companies in the region that have incredible technology that's like, you know, 
leached out of these big corporations in their research labs. And, and we see it happen all too often where small businesses in this region get acquired by a multinational or a foreign organization that takes the technology they're interested in and then shuts down the business here in the Finger Lakes region. Um, and that's really unfortunate. Every time that happens, we lose 100 or 300 good local jobs. So when we were putting together our succession plan, we really had an eye toward creating a corporate structure that we believe can survive at least 100 years. Yeah, wow, that's, that's really great. So, so, okay, so one of the options would be just clean it up and sell and you knocked that one off the table. Um, what were some other options you considered before you settled on the employee ownership trust? Yeah, so we, we looked at a leverage management buyout and we probably could make that happen with our young leadership team at the size that the company is now. But the problem is 25 years from now, 20, 25 years from now, when the young leadership team is ready to pass the torch, um, the company would probably be so valuable that they wouldn't be able to parlay it again. So that didn't really play out. Um, we, we don't believe that would have played out the way we wanted. Um, I took a real serious look at, at uh, ESOPs. Um, I've always been a fan of employees owning stock. When I was younger, working for a multinational, I wanted to own a, just one share of stock, just <laughs> be a shareholder. That'd be so cool, you know? But um, with uh, employee stock ownership plans, uh, essentially what's happening is the company is giving employees a piece of paper with a promise to give them cash for that paper later. And again, here in the Rochester area, home of Kodak and Xerox and so forth, we've seen how having all your financial eggs in the basket of the, the corporate coffers, it, it doesn't always work out well for you. We've, there are thousands of families here in the Rochester area where people are not living the retirement that, that they thought they were going to have because those big companies have downsized so much. Um, so doing the uh, employee ownership trust allows us to share profits with our workers, with our workforce, as we go, as opposed to giving them a piece of paper with a promise for cash later. And, and it really empowers our, work for, our workforce to then take those dollars and spend them if they wish or, or invest them. And uh, many, of our, many of our employees are investing seriously in the 401k plan we have a 401k plan that's set up so that we match the first $10 an employee puts in each week, and then 20% of their monthly bonus check goes into their 401k. For, and, and if someone works with us for their career, say for 40 years, uh, they should be able to retire a millionaire. And, and uh, I'd like to see every one of our employees be able to retire with a, with a comfortable savings. Um, for the, we do have some employees that are putting all of their bonus check into their 401k. And I think those guys will be able to retire multimillionaires uh, by the time they get there. Wow. That's, that's really great. Um, did you, I'm just curious when you, um, so you thought about ESOPs and you, you found some downsides to that. You decided not to, like, how did you come to the employee ownership trust idea? And did you, you know, yeah. are there others out there? And that was, it was actually pretty ironic because um, I was speaking at the national conference for employee ownership, which is mostly people talking about ESAPs. 
And uh, I was talking about a new corporate structure where Optimax would operate as a C Corp owned by a nonprofit. And, uh, and I had the pl pleasure of meeting uh, an attorney out of New York City, a young attorney out of New York City named Chris Michael. And uh, he had spent some time working over in the UK and introduced me to this idea of a perpetual purpose trust. I had looked at the trust model earlier on in my research um, and, and discarded it because everyone I talked to indicated that there needed to be beneficiaries from, for the trust. Mm. Uh, usually that's children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren um, that are getting rewards from the, from the um, performance of the company even though they weren't involved in any way in managing the company or running the company or anything like that. And, and at any time, those, those beneficiaries could all get, get together and tell the trustees, hey, sell, sell the company. You know, we wanna, we wanna get the big, the big bucks in our lifetime, not leave it for, for another. So I, I kind of discarded the whole trust idea until I met Chris and he started talking to me about the perpetual purpose trust where you don't actually have to have beneficiaries, but you can write a perpetual purpose that defines how the organization is to be led. And um, yeah, it's, it just, it hit on all the metrics of, you know, put, putting in place a structure that we believe could be successful for a hundred years um, not selling the company, sharing the profits with employees. And the trustees do have the responsibility of making sure that those individuals that are in leadership roles at Optimax are indeed leading the company in a way that it's creating innovation, it's, it's creating new jobs. Um, and if somebody, you know, if somebody at some point does come into the fold that maybe is getting a little greedy or whatever, they, the trustees have the ability to move them aside. Yeah. So say a little bit more about the trustees and sort of how the trustees become trustees and, you know, sort of the I mean, the responsibilities that they have. Do they have any operational responsibilities sort of, you know, where's their where's the line between them and sort of the management of yeah. the company? Yeah, great question. So the trustees have absolutely no operational responsibility. Um, they're very hands off. Um, they'll get updated annually. Um, at a minimum by the uh, board of directors of Optimax. Um, but fundamentally we have um, three trustees, myself and my business partner that are the first two trustees. And then there's a third trustee which is selected from the ranks of our young leadership team from the Optimax board of directors. And then there's a trust protector and which is Chris Michael, the attorney that we've been working with and a trust administrator, which is a firm out of Delaware where the trust is established. Um, going forward, as Michael or I phase out of the, out of the picture, um, we will select someone else to sit in our seats as, as trustees. Um, and those individuals could be somebody from, with Optimax pedigree, or they could be somebody from, from outside the fold. Um, but the idea is that they would be um, brought on to defend the, the three tenants of the trust. Yeah, so, and so in the trust structure, um, the ownership of the firm sits with the trust, but the employees share in the profits, is that? Right, yeah, yeah. All, all we've done is um, all the voting shares of Optimax have been put into the trust 
Um, we do have a block of voting shares we're selling back to Optimax. Those are being repurchased and retired. Um, and that's how Mike and I get our bite of the apple, so to speak. Um, so in the future, the trust actually owns all the voting equity of Optimax. Um, within, within Optimax, there are some long-term incentive programs. One is a phantom, op, uh, phantom stock option program. Um, so we, you know, the leadership has the opportunity to issue phantom stock options to selected individuals as a long-term incentive. Uh, those vest over a five-year period. And then the, the other thing we have is class B shares. Um, and that's an even longer term incentive that can be purchased by select individuals uh, in leadership roles that would then be sold back to the company. But the class B shares, while they will have dividend rights, they have no voting rights. Okay, so so that is because that's what I was I was sort of wondering about. You know, if there are any concerns about the incentive structure being, you know, mainly quarterly profits, but this is a different way to sort of have a multi-time horizon kind of structure. Is that that kind of yeah. the idea there? Yes. Well, it's for us. It's not even quarterly. It's monthly. Every month we share the monthly. Profit. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but we did put a couple longer-term incentives in place. Um, for the leadership to use where they feel it's appropriate. Let me give you one example where the PSOs, the phantom stock options are being used that, that I really like. Um, we just put this in place um, a couple of years ago. Um, for employees that have been with the organization 20 or 25 years, you know, during the early years of their employment, they're learning rapidly, um, their wages are increasing pretty quick, but they get to a point after like 20 years that their earning potential kind of plateaus, right? And what's really unfortunate, this happens at all organizations. What's really unfortunate about that is those are your core people. Those are your people that are most experienced. And yet year after year, they're getting like cost of living increases. So we, we decided to give uh, anyone that, that reaches their 25th anniversary, they get a block of phantom stock options that vest over a five-year period. And I'll sit down with them and, and present this to them and encourage them to leverage their expertise to teach the younger people in the company everything, leverage their experience to, to lift up all these younger people that are in the organization. And to the extent that they can help us grow the business over the next five years at a faster rate, those PSO units will be worth more. So it's a way to put some giddy up in the step of those folks that have been with us for 25 years. It's, yeah. and I think it's a really beautiful way to reward them. Yeah, that is really great. So, and then for you and for your business partner and all, like, um, as you're sort of thinking about this, are there some, any tax advantages for you or are there, how does this work for you in terms of, um, as, yeah. a, as a way to step back? Yeah, that's a good question too. It's, um, with ESOPs, there are, there is a book of, uh, law and tax advantages for the owners that are exiting for EOTs, not so much. Hmm. So, <laughs> The good, thing, the good thing about an EOT is we don't have the same kind of oversight that you would have with an ESOP, mm -hmm. um, but the downfall, the, the sort of the- No ERISA kind of things. There's, there's no tax in, uh, incentives, at least not yet. Um, it's mm -hmm. something we're talking about. Um, but, you know, going back to, you know, what I was saying earlier, you know, we- Mike and I have already made more money in our careers than we ever thought we would. So for us, it's not about getting maximum dollars out of this. It's about leaving a legacy and leaving the company in a, in a place where it's really 
healthy and wired for success. Now, let me let me just say one other thing. Um, just it, when I, as I was speaking there, it reminds me that all across the nation and communities, there's a lot of great work being done with startups, funding startups, whether it's angel investors or VCs or what have you, um, grant programs from that are supported by the government. But where, what we need to start doing is protecting the small businesses that are already in our communities and, and empowering them to continue to grow and create jobs. It's really unfortunate when um, you know, a small business gets bought up and then shut down, as I was talking about earlier. It's, there's, there's so many good small businesses out there. If we can find a way to help them continue and, and the EOTs and the ESOPs, I think are a great way to do that, where you kind of turn it over to the employees and then let them figure out um, how to take it forward. Yeah. So one of the things I was thinking about, I mean, you've been thinking about this for a long time, right? So um, so it seems to me this isn't something that you want to do, you know, sort of a couple months before you want to retire, all of a sudden think about this, right? So I, I, I'm just curious, you know, sort of if, you, if there's other kinds of, you know, what kinds of advice would you give to companies that are thinking, you know, that they would like to leave their business in a way that it continues on and is, and is more of a legacy? What, what are some, you know, what's some of your wisdom that you'd want to share yeah. forward? Yeah, one of the things that's essential, whether you're going to do an ESOP or an EOT, one of the things that I think is essential is that you have a corporate culture where the workforce is engaged in operating the business. If, if you have a corporate culture where it's basically um, pyramid leadership and, and you know, top-down management, and there's only a, you know, a handful of people at the, at the top of the organization that have made all the decisions for years and years, when, when those people at the top of the pyramid step aside, things can implode because you, I've seen it happen before where you just don't have peop, other, other individuals in the organization that are capable of stepping up and making those decisions. And it's, it's a function of um, leaders getting what they design the organization for. If you design the organization for to have followers, you will have an organization full of followers. If you design your organization to have leaders, you can have leaders at all different levels. And those, and as leaders at the top step aside, other leaders will be ready to step into their shoes. And that's what we're trying to do at Optimax. That's why we're so big on self-management by personal accountability, where, where people are just coming in and doing what they know needs to get done to create value. And it's, it's just amazing how responsive and adaptable our team is um, this year in, the, in a year of COVID and this pandemic, um, we were an essential business where we, we could not shut down. We have government contracts we need to fulfill. And our team stepped up in a big way to make sure that we stayed operational throughout the year. Um, and it's just been wonderful to see how adaptable they are. It's, it's not fun what's going on this year, um, but they're coping. And, and we've actually been able to grow our revenue in this year of pandemic chaos. It's, it's really amazing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's also probably really good for the community. It's been a year of a lot of people struggling financially. So yeah. it's great that, you know, people have been able to hang on to their good jobs. Yeah, my business partner's grandfather used to say that during the Great Depression, it wasn't a depression if you had a job. It was, <laughs> right. it was a Great Depression if you were one of the poor people that didn't have didn't have employment. 
Yeah. So, well, that, I mean, is, you know, sort of how do you see, I mean, um, that's one of the benefits of Optimax sort of carrying on in the community. I mean, are there other ways that you, you know, as you think about what you hope, what you hope is sort of Optimax's role in the community going forward? Are there other, um, other things that you have in mind in terms of the role the company plays? Yeah. So here in the Finger Lakes region, we've got about a thousand businesses that are owned by baby bloomers that need to make some kind of decision for succession planning in the next five to 10 years. And, you know, for the, for the folks that um, they can hand it off to children or, you know, keep it in the family, so to speak, more power to them. That, that's, that's really wonderful. That wasn't an option for us. Um, but many of the small business owners in our community are going to come to a realization that they've got to figure out a succession plan. And it, as I said earlier, the easiest thing is spend a little time cleaning up the financials and sell the business. But I really don't believe that's the best solution for many of the companies that we've got in this region. Yeah. So hoping that we can be a model for others in addition to the ESOP option, the EOT is an option. Um, some, some people will leave their business in a, a different kind of trust and, and that's fine. Um, the key I think is to figure out a path forward where the, you can keep the business intact and here in this community growing and, and creating jobs for future generations. Great, that's really terrific. And I'm just curious sort of, you know, and what's next for, for you and the leadership team at Optimax? Um, well, we're, we're still, you know, we're still going through this transition. So it, it's the whole way, you know, over the last couple of years and, and to where we are today, we're on a journey that no one else has done. We're the first company in America, the first manufacturing firm in America to go down this path. So it's, it's a little bumpy some days. We're kind of like, um, you know, going, going through the woods in the dark, um, but we're finding our way and uh, trying to make it work as best we can. I think one of the keys is to not get too frustrated if things aren't working, but to talk it through and check and adjust. So we've got this um, as part of our continuous improvement, we do plan, do, check, adjust, plan, do, check, adjust. And so you just periodically cycle back through and see what's working well, see what can be a little better. Um, even if you've got everything working wonderfully today, tomorrow the world's gonna change. So in a few days, we'll, <laughs> we'll need to change it again. And you can't get frustrated by that. You just gotta roll with the punches. Yeah. Well, Rick, thank you so much. I think this is really great. We're excited to be able to talk about this and to um, follow along. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with you as you're working on this and, and keep up with how things are going because I do think this is an exciting model and there's a lot for everyone to learn from this. So thank you so much for your leadership and for, for sharing your story with us today. Really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Maureen, for your support and encouragement. It's, it's really, uh, I, I'm delighted to be part of uh, the Espen family and the Fellowship for Job Quality. Um, and we didn't talk about it here today. I, I probably should have, but we've got a wonderful wellness program at Optimax where we try to ensure that all of our employees have a good work-life balance. Excellent. Yes. All right. Well, we'll bring you back another time and we can talk about your wellness program and all your other benefits and, and get an update on how things are going with the, with the ownership trust. So thanks again. And um, thanks to everybody for listening and uh, check back for more updates soon.
Thank you.